Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. It is a uh, long weekend and uh, the sun is out and uh, I haven't preached for five weeks, so buckle in. Uh, we are in the middle of a preaching series that we began for term one of uh, 2020 and is simply called Come Let Us. I'm not going to give a summary of the last uh, five weeks because that will take too long, although most of those recordings, if not all of them, are on our website if you want to catch up with them. Uh, contributions from Rob and Jay. We had a worship team panel up here talking about Come Let Us Worship. Uh, but today I have the privilege of speaking out of the book of Micah. How many of you have read Micah lately? How many of you know how to find Micah in the Bible? Okay, it's one of those, you're going to be very embarrassed to get to heaven one day and someone comes up to you and says, hi, my name's Micah. What, what did you think of my book? You know, you go, oh, Obadiah's cousin. There you go. So, but Micah is a good book. He is a, what we call a minor prophet, uh, which simply all that means is he's only got seven chapters, so he's one of the smaller of the books. It doesn't mean he's less significant. In the chronology of the prophets. He's probably about the second or third prophetic book that comes along. So, in the story of God's people, as you read through the Bible in a year with me on YouTube, uh, we discover that you've got the uh, fathers in the Genesis account, okay, the stories of Abram, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob and his family end up in Egypt with Joseph, then they come out with Moses, they go into the promised land with Joshua, they've got a series of judges and then they become a kingdom and you've got the kings like Samuel, David and Solomon and then the kingdom splits into two. And so God's family become a nation, God's nation become a kingdom God's kingdom then becomes two kingdoms, they're split, okay, first church split in history, actually, no, it's not, there's many before that, but anyway, but we've got this split kingdom and the majority tribes, the majority of God's people are up in the north and they retain the name Israel, that's what they they keep being known as that, whereas the guys who stay in the south at Jerusalem, where the temple is, David's family from, they just become known as the tribe of Judah. And so as you read through the prophets, this is where the prophets come in, you've got the two tribes happening and sometimes they talk to Israel, sometimes they talk to Judah, sometimes they talk to Israel, sometimes they talk to Judah, sometimes they talk to both. And Micah comes in at a stage where God's people, the prophets are talking to both because he's one of the early ones and he predicts that the northern kingdom is going to be taken out by a foreign army. Okay, he says, you guys are going to be taken away, it's a, like a picture of Adam and Eve, taken away from the promised land, taken out of the Garden of Eden, you guys are going to be destroyed. And then he says, the guys down south, you're going to have something similar happen to you, okay, because you're going to be silly and you're not going to learn the lessons from the big brother up north. And you're also going to be taken out one day, but because God is faithful, He's going to bring you back again, He's going to restore. And it's Micah who says, when God's people come back, there's going to be a day in the last days where God's going to bring a king like David back again. Remember how awesome David was? He was the best, he was amazing. He, David was a shepherd, he was a shepherd king. And in the future, God's going to bring a shepherd king from David who's going to be born in a place called Bethlehem 
And he is going to be from the ancient of days. That's how old he's going to be. His origins are from days old. It's Micah who prophesies that. And so we read Micah's prophecy at Christmas time. You, O Bethlehem, are by no means the least. Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Sound familiar? So that's Micah. So now when you meet him, you'll be able to go, I know about you. You prophesied Jesus would come from Bethlehem. But this is something else that he said in the Come Let Us series in uh, chapter 4. As he's prophesying that, yes, God's people will suffer, Jerusalem will be destroyed, and Nebuchadnezzar did that in 586 BC, but then one day you'll be restored in the last days. It says this, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth that will be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. Now, of course, as we read prophets, we're going to understand that almost all prophecy is poetry, okay? And so, as poetry or a song, uh, you take it seriously without necessarily having to take it all literally. And this is not a prophecy that says, one day, the mountain where Jerusalem was built would be higher than Everest, It'd be very hard to get up there, pass a lot of dead bodies on the way, to try to get up to Everest, okay? So it's not saying it's the highest physically. This is a prophecy about its prominence and influence and safety because in the ancient world, and Jerusalem was renowned for this, one of the reasons that they built atop mountains and, and, and up, up on hills was for safety. It was for protection, okay? You could see your enemies coming and attack them from above. So this was a communication to say, listen, in the last days, God's mountain is going to be bigger and better than the rest of them, all right? It's a poetic prophecy here. Let's continue. Verse 2 says, people from many nations will come and say, come let us. Come on, say it with me. Come, let us. And now what are they going to say? They're going to say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. This is what Malcolm preached from last week about people coming to God's house saying, whoa, we've heard stuff is good there. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There, he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths because the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. This is again the prophet's way of saying This, the place of God, the house of God is going to have a reputation beyond its borders. People are going to hear, a bit like the Queen of Sheba, sort of picking up from that vibe and saying, people are going to hear, wow, that God that's there is awesome and we want to go and check it out for ourselves. Okay, so it's that prophecy. The Lord will mediate between peoples and settle disputes between strong nations far away. They will hammer their swords into plowshares. They will take their spears and make them into pruning hooks. This is a way of saying God will have peace amongst enemies. Those who used weapons to hurt one another will now forge those weapons into tools to work together. Okay? Poetry. That's how it works. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Why? Everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees. Cultural context. For there will be nothing to fear. The Lord of heaven's armies has made this promise. And then he says this, though the nations around us follow their idols, we will follow the Lord our God forever and ever. Other nations can do what they want, but we, in light of these promises, are going to follow the Lord our God. All right? This is prophetic promises. 
about a magnificent city, God's people represented the city, the, the, the temple is there, this is where God and man meet, the reputation, it is a safe place, it is a protected place, it is a prosperous place, where not just the community prospers, but each man prospers, okay? And this is something of saying, in the last days, this is going to happen. Now, Isaiah, and this is what Malcolm, is this too much learning for a long weekend? You okay? You switch your brains on? Uh, Isaiah, uh, as Malcolm said last week, borrows this prophecy from Micah, okay? And he basically just does a big copy and paste and whacks it in his book. He plagiarizes it full on in Isaiah chapter 2, and you can read that there basically word for word, except at the end of his prophecy, when it says they'll take their spears and make them into pruning hooks, blah, 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 he says this, O house of Jacob, come let us, come, come on, say come let us, humor me, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Micah said, doesn't matter what the other nations do, we're going to follow the Lord our God. Isaiah says, house of Israel, in light of these incredible promises, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Following the Lord, walking in the light of the Lord, two different ways, saying effectively the same thing. This morning, part six of our series, I want to speak on this thing of come let us walk in the light. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. God has given us incredible promises because, of course, as we know, the last days, as we just read there in Micah, it said, in the last days this will happen. We know that those last days commenced with the ministry of Jesus in the first century. Peter gets up in Acts chapter 2 and he says, guess what Jesus has done? He's inaugurated the last days. It, these promises are being fulfilled. Jesus said it's no longer a physical mountain that God's people worship at because in these, the hour has now come where God's people worship in spirit and truth. And these realities are being fulfilled not in a physical location but in a covenant community, a new Jerusalem that comes, a new Jerusalem that is the new covenant community according to Galatians 4. This is a promise for us. The church being a place of protection. How many of you think church should be a safe place? The church being a place of prosperity, where people do well, individuals and together, the church which is known as a place that God is there. Wonderful promises, good reputation in the community. What is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to walk in the light. Follow the Lord our God. Walk in the light. Come, let us walk in the light. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Which sounds great as a concept, but what the heck does that mean? What does it mean? What does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord? Well, there's a couple of ways people approach the Bible. Sometimes people just read a passage and they go, well, what does light mean to me? And then you come up with your images. So if I was to ask you, you would think, what's the first thing that comes into your mind when you say, come let us walk in the light? What does that mean? There'll be different ideas. But what I like to do, and the way I think is the most healthy way to read the Bible, is not to say, what does it mean to me, first, because I'm not the one that that prophet was speaking to. What did it mean to those people, 700 years BC, when these words were spoken? What would a Hebrew person have thought when they heard the term, follow the Lord your God, walk in the light? And one of the things that I believe that they, this connotation that would have come up, 
I believe the prophets here are drawing on the theme, or the motif is the literary term, of the Exodus. Now, every year, God's people would celebrate the Exodus, the Passover meal, and they would retell the story of Moses bringing God's people out of Egypt. They'd tell the story again and again and again. This produced something in their psyche. They thought in terms of God delivering His people like He did with Moses, He's going to do that again. That's why when Jesus comes, one of the words, names for Jesus is that He is the prophet that Moses spoke about. There was always this thing of looking back and going, oh, I wish it could be as good as David. We want a king like that. And looking back and going, oh, I wish it could be like Moses. We need a deliverer like that. Because they were constantly reminding themselves every year of the story of Moses, the great hero of the Hebrew people. And I want to suggest to you that this picture of walking in the light would have conjured that thought in the minds of God's people. And so I want to just look at three practical things today about what it means to walk in the light from the Exodus story. Okay? Good? Three points. Can you handle that in a long weekend? Yes. Huh? Of course you can. You're getting paid double time and a half to be here, so just enjoy it. Okay. If you've got a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 10. This is one of the most pivotal stories in the whole entire Bible. In fact, um, as Alex was saying um, on my social media at the moment, doing the chronological Bible plan, helping people around the world to read the Bible in a chronology. That's one. In a sequential way, okay, in a chronological way, and we're right now up to the Exodus story. So this is kind of uh, hitting it right where it is. Again, we have the start of the Bible where you've got Genesis and the story of Abram and uh, no, Adam and Eve and Enoch and Noah and those type of guys, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. After Jacob takes his family to Egypt with Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, they are there for a couple of hundred years in slavery. Even though Joseph saved Egypt because of the dream interpretation. Even though jo Joseph made Egypt powerful, because all the nations came and gave them their wealth when they were selling food, Joseph was responsible for that. Even though the Jews, or the Hebrews as they were known at that time, even though the Hebrews brought prosperity to Egypt, the next ruler began to oppress them, and God's people cry out. God sends them a man called Moses, and Moses comes, and one of the things he does is his miracles... He performs a number of plagues that come on the Egyptians, okay? Now, there are a number of reasons these plagues came. I won't go into all of them, but the one that's important today is this. One of the things that the plagues did was they helped to distinguish which people were God's people and which people were the Egyptians. Because when you've lived in a society for two, three, four hundred years, there's a bit of debate how long it was, but when you live in a society for that long and you don't know who you are, God needed to highlight who His people were, the people that He had chosen. And one of the ways He does that is with the plagues. Because as you read the stories, for example, the plague of the flies. Flies, it says, cover Egypt. But it says, but they did not go where God's people lived. It's like these flies are flying in the air. And when they get to over Goshen, Gorton, wherever it's called, where God's people live, it's like they have this invisible barrier. It's like, bing, they just, they just can't get in. Flies did not touch where God's people lived. Same thing happened with livestock. Livestock, it says, all over Egypt died, but God, the, the livestock of God's people did not die. They did not catch the virus, okay? It was God's way of making a distinction between God's people and the Egyptians. 
The next one that happens is uh, the story of hail. Hail comes on Egypt, but it says it did not destroy the crops of God's people. Again, God is making a distinction with this. And the last plague that came, the second to last one, was the plague of darkness. And this is what we read about in Exodus chapter 10. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, the darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. There was pitch darkness all over the land of Egypt for three whole days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all of the people of Israel had light where they lived. It's like blackout, supernatural blackout for three days. Egypt shut down and God's people just kept on going like normal. Again, you just think, you're just walking in darkness and all of a sudden it's light here, you know. Darkness, light, you know. Darkness, light. I probably should be doing this over here for the camera. That'd be good. Darkness, you know, light. And this, so what is God doing for three days? He is distinguishing his people by light. My people are the people of light. And that light continues with them. They have a, God gives them a pillar, his presence in a pillar of fire by nighttime, light, okay? It leads them towards the Red Sea, all right? What does it say? Um, they come to the Red Sea, and Exodus 14 says this, The angel of God, who had been travelling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and then went behind them. The pillar of crowd moved in front of them and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night... The cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So here they are crossing the Red Sea. This is often probably a part of the story we forget. The Red Sea crossing, one of the reasons that God's people were protected in that period is because the Egyptians were supernaturally left in the dark. While God's people had light to guide them, getting maybe up to two million people through the sea at that time. This is, again, God distinguishing His people, the people of the light. My people I'm leading as the people of the light. And during that time, I won't read the whole story, we might skip that for the sake of time, but what God does in this cloud is He then disturbs the Egyptians, and that's when their chariot wheels fall off, etc., etc. What's the point, Chad? The point is that God is shining His light on His people. He's saying, these are my people. They are people of the light. God used light to show that he had chosen his people, distinguished them from the Egyptians. He used light to deliver his people out of Egypt, to show them the way to go. And ultimately, he used light to destroy the enemy, to save them, to rescue them from those who would be out to harm them because light always defeats darkness. And so here's the first point. What did God's people do to deserve such an honour? What did God's people do to deserve to be distinguished, to deserve to be delivered, to deserve to be rescued and saved from Egypt? Nothing. They did nothing good to deserve this honour. Moses tells them this 40 years later. Deuteronomy, it's the last of Moses' books. Forty years later, he says this, Deuteronomy chapter 7. He says, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations. Actually, you were the smallest of them. 
Rather, Deuteronomy 7 verse 8, it was simply that the Lord loves you and He was keeping the oath that He swore to your forefathers. That is why He rescued you with a strong hand from the hand of Egypt. Why did God rescue His people? Because He loved them, because He was faithful to them. They did nothing to deserve it. God delivered them, He chose them, He distinguished them, and He saved them from their enemy by light. What's your point, preacher? What does it mean to walk in the light? Firstly, I see it means this. It means to be a people that walk in God's grace. To walk in grace. To understand that we have done nothing to deserve God's goodness. We've done nothing to deserve His deliverance. We've done nothing to deserve the salvation that He has given us. Walking in the light means walking in grace. Receiving, rejoicing, delighting in the fact that God has chosen us when we didn't deserve it. God came to me before I ever came to Him. God loved us before we ever loved Him. Walking in the light is saying, I receive your grace. I come into the undeserved goodness of God who took me through the Red Sea and delivered me from my enemies. We are the people of light. Wow. Come on, how many of you are glad for God's grace today? We walk in the line. Chat on the screen, mate. Come let us. Walk in the light means to walk in grace. You know, one of the things that makes God's city attractive, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, okay? An attractive church is a happy church. Now, Rob can encourage us this morning, listen, make noise, okay? A happy place is an attractive place. And we can be happy when we know the undeserved goodness of God has come to us. God has rescued us and delivered us. We rejoice in the goodness and the grace of God. This is why Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, listen, you guys have fallen from grace. And what has happened to all your joy? You've fallen from grace. Because the Galatian people, what does it mean to fall from grace? It doesn't mean to fall into bad sin habits. That's, that's not what it means. It means that today, but it's not what it meant to Paul. When he said you've fallen from grace, it, it said you've fallen from appreciating God's goodness is undeserved and now you're trying to earn it with your own good works. But it means to fall from grace, to fall from the high position of knowing it can't get better than this. Undeserved goodness and grace has come to me. To walk in the light means to walk in the knowledge of God's grace. If you don't know Jesus today, we hope that your journey with Him can start today, where you know that actually He has shone His light onto you and chosen you. And you don't do, have to do anything to earn or deserve that. It is God's choosing of you because He loves you and He's given the Passover lamb to die for you. Number two, to walk in the light means, number one, to walk in grace. And secondly, because these are not opposing ideas, it means to walk in obedience. To walk in the light and to walk in obedience. After God's people cross the Red Sea, he, the, that same cloud leads them to Sinai, where God speaks to them and gives them a written law. Okay? They build a tent, they build a place of worship, and God's glory presence comes on that tent. And then this, about a year later, they begin to walk and follow Him again. And this is what we read in Numbers 9. This is quite a big passage, but it's very repetitive, so just come with me on this. Numbers 9.15. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it, 
From evening till morning, night time, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. In other words, it, looked, it gave out light. Okay, God's presence, light here. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it. At night, it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, everyone say command. Good. Oh, yeah, this is good. Well done. At his command, the Israelites set out. And at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. But when the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only for a few days. But at the Lord's command, they would encamp. And then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out. With a day by night, with the cloud lifted, they set out. Whenever the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, or a month, or a year, the Israelites would remain in the camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out at the Lord's command. They encamped. At the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with His command. Through my... Do you get the point? Are you picking up? Are you picking up a bit of a theme? Are you picking up a bit of a theme here? I think like Moses wrote this Toward the end of his life, he was getting a bit frustrated with it. It's like, just forget the point, would you? Anyway, whatever. Point is, at his command, they moved out. And at his command, they stayed. In summary, basically, when God says we stay, we stay. When God says we go, we go. Our responsibility is simply to obey. Follow the light as... He leads because walking in the light means walking in obedience. Walking in the light means going, where's the light going today? I walk and I follow that light. Whether it's the written word, because when they came to Sinai, they were given a written word. Whether it's the written word or whether it's his spoken word. Whether it's the word of God or whether it's the voice of God, if you're happy to distinguish between them. Whether it's written or whether it's heard, we make a commitment to walk in the light means we make a commitment to obey whatever it is the Lord says. In September last year, I had the privilege of going to South Africa for the first time and one of the great things that I got to do there is I got to meet some old faces that have really played a big part in my life. And when I was a young adult, I had a few favourite preachers um, growing up and one of them was a guy called Rory Dyer who's an Afrikaner guy, big guy, big heart, big voice, uh, just a, a great preacher. And many of the things he shared over the years have really stuck with me. And one of them was this. He said they were having a baptism service and he was leading a church and they were outside and he was watching as people were getting prepared. And he said he just watched one guy getting ready to get baptised and this guy was, took off his watch, took his wallet out of one pocket, took his keys out of the other, put it in a nice little pile and then began to walk into the water. And Rory just said, God spoke to him just then and said, you know, that's how many pre people approach their whole Christian life. Lord, my life is yours. But don't touch my time. Don't touch my money. Don't touch my prestige. Don't touch my possessions. But my life is yours, Lord. And he was like, didn't work out practically, but he just got this sense of, you know, when we get baptised, we are in wallet, watch and all. Phone out, it's yours. Wallet, yours. 
watch is yours. Lord, my whole life is yours. Because when we come to Christ, we acknowledge him as our saviour. <gasps> Walk in grace. And when we come to Christ, we acknowledge him as Lord. Because he is both. He is both. And when you have a Lord, basically our attitude is, Lord, whatever you say goes. Whatever you say goes. And this is the picture of walking in the light with the moving cloud. Whether it's the written word, what you say goes. Whether it's the spoken word, that's where he's going. I'll go with you, Lord. Walking in the light means walking in obedience. And that to me is just normal Christianity. We were having a dining room, dining table conversation the other day and Jay posed a question. She's like, I was just thinking, if God told us to sell up everything and plant a church somewhere again, would we do that? And my first inclination was no thanks. And then my second... <laughs> but my second thought, you know, if there's any question that begins with, if God tells us, then it doesn't matter what comes after that. The answer is going to be yes, because that's normal Christianity. If God says something, then that is what we do. Now, obviously, the more, the bigger a consequence something has, the more clarification I'm going to want. Okay, so when Moses, uh, when God gave the law to Moses and he said, listen, when you make judgments on serious matters, have two or three witnesses. So we don't make massive decisions in life without confirmations. We really want to know this is God. Okay, we want to be certain but if God clearly speaks anything, the normal Christian life is saying, Lord, whatever you say goes. Whatever you say goes. Even if that makes me feel uncomfortable. Because I'm not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And this is probably one of the reasons that more than almost any other subject, some people do the stats on this and say more than any subject, but I'll leave that to you to look up, that Jesus, spoke about, Jesus taught about the issue of money. Because that's where the rubber hits the road with a lot of people, uh, with many of us. I know it does with me. I sat down with, um, many of you have met Dr. Ray, a psychologist, a couple of years ago. He did a personality test on me. And in, in the first five minutes, he said, Chad, I'm looking at your sheet. You're the type of person that has three main needs in life. A peaceful environment, truth, you need to know what's true, and you need a sense of financial security. Like, okay, is that not normal? He goes, no, that's not normal. There's only certain people are like that. And so I understand that I'm kind of built that way. And yet I also know what it's like to walk with a God who says, listen, Chad, I want you to commit to a generous lifestyle of setting aside a portion of your income week after week after week. And I say, Lord, yes, I'll do that because I trust you. There's been times where God's, I've received a whole paycheck and God said, I want you to give that whole thing away and invest it into something. Some of you know those stories. I won't tell them all publicly. And I go, yes, Lord, I'll do that. Because you're my Lord. And while the financial security need in me would rather say, I've got a better use for that. I'd rather have that in my bank account. Thank you very much. I know that I'll respond to whatever God says. I'm going to New Zealand next week and it's my ninth year in a row. The first time I was there, I've told this story before. The first time I was there, I preached at a conference in Christchurch and they gave me a financial gift on the Sunday morning, which is great. Thank you very much. I had this wad of New Zealand money and I went up to Auckland to preach in a friend's church and during the worship, second song in, 
God spoke to me and said, invest that money as a first fruits offering into New Zealand as a sign that you trust me for your ministry here in the future. And second song hymn, I am looking under the seats for the buckets because I'm like, I don't want to delay. I don't want to delay this. I took that water, I'm like looking around for an offering. Uh, it was that week that when we got back from church, we started having an offering uh, basket up the back so that any time anyone wanted to give, they could because I just experienced that. I'm like, Lord, I want to give now. And this is just a practical way of going, Lord, whatever you say goes. Whatever you say goes. For you, it might be something else. But when we accept Christ as Lord, we accept Him as Lord, walking in grace and walking in obedience are not two opposing things. In fact, when we really appreciate God's grace, we know God wants what is best for us, then it's easier to trust Him when He says something to us. Hello? Why did the woman worship Jesus extravagantly in Simon's house? Jesus said, she worships me much because she knows she's been forgiven much. Those who make big of the grace of God and how awesome His grace is for me are empowered to say, that God who loves me before I ever loved Him, if He asked me to do something, I trust Him. Because He who did not give up His best for me, how will He not also give me everything that I need? So no matter what it is He asks me, I say, yes, Lord. And that to me is just normal Christianity. While there is a risk in obeying at times, there's also a risk in disobeying. While there is a risk in following there's also a risk in staying. And as I get to know God more and more, I tell you which angle I'd rather take any day of the week. There is always grace to obey. Walking in the light means walking according to His Word. And so the psalmist says this, he says, Your Word is like a lamp to my feet. It shows me the next step I am to take. And your word is a light to my path. It shows me the bigger picture ahead of me. Both the written word that gives me God's general will and the spoken word that gives me his specific next step for me will. I'm committed to walking in the light means I'm committed to walking in obedience. Because Jesus is Saviour and Jesus is also Lord. And anyone who agreed with that said, Amen. Amen. Happily, because he's a really good Lord too. Good Lord. Good Lord, what does it mean to walk in the light? Using the Exodus picture, it seems to me that it means to walk in grace. Woohoo! People in the light! God chose me! God's delivered me! God's rescued me! That's good. It means to walk in obedience. Wake up in the morning, where's the cloud? Oh, the light's moving, we're off today. The Lord is leading us, let's follow. And thirdly, it means to walk... <laughs> In authenticity. It's a real thing. It's a real word. It's not in any dictionary. And when I made this PowerPoint, it came up with a red line underneath it. But I'm going to go with it because I like it. God's people move on. They're following the cloud. And a few days later, they get to Numbers chapter 12. They didn't know it at the time, but they did. And God hears something from Miriam and Aaron. And this is how the story goes. Numbers 12, while they're at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married 
a Kushite woman. Kushites in North Africa, okay? So it's kind of close to Egypt. It's a bit further north, apparently, is where the Kushites were from. And Moses had married one of those dark African ladies, and his brother and sister had an issue with it. So what did they do? Well, they came to him and said, Bro, this doesn't really sit well with us. Let's talk it out as family. Nah, they didn't do that. They said this, Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? And the Lord heard it. No one else did, but the Lord did. And the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth, where the Moses that wrote himself is a, a whole other thing. Here's the point. <laughs> Moses and Aaron, his family, got a bit of a bee in the bonnet because they didn't quite agree with the decision that their little brother had made. And rather than just coming out in the open to him, rather than just coming out and saying, hey, not sure about this chick from up north. Not sure about your choice in marriage partner and what this communicates to other people. There's different views on this. My, my view is that these people, of course, the Hebrew people were slaves for hundreds of years and they thought that Moses, what Moses had done by marrying a black chick from up north is he'd married upper class because the, the Cushites were wealthier than the slaves. So Moses thought he was better than the Hebrews by marrying up. To marry a black girl, to marry a North African was marrying up. And so Miriam and Aaron are like, who do you think you are? You think our girls aren't good enough for you? You think you're better than us? You think you're the only one that's heard God? You're marrying up? You think you're better than us? Our girls aren't good enough? And Moses, of course, no, 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 he was humble, most humble man ever to have lived, right? He married, and, but, but here's the issue. They did not bring this out into the light. Out in public, they were very supportive of Moses. Yeah, bro, we're with you. First one in the line when Moses said, if you're for the Lord, come to us. Aaron's there. Miriam's there, leading the worship team, tambourine and everything, okay? They are for Moses, and yet behind the scenes, they've got to be in their bonnet, they've got to check in their heart, and rather than bringing that out into the light, they begin to murmur about Moses and make things up about him that just are not true. They were not being authentic. They were not demonstrating integrity. And another word to say that, is that they were not demonstrating authenticity, okay? That's just how it is. They were being disingenuous. They were being hypocritical. One thing in public, another thing in private. And Jesus talks about hypocrisy in Luke chapter 12, where he talks about the Pharisees. And he says to his disciples, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You see, yeast is something that works in the darkness. You sort of put it down in there. You can't see it, but then it permeates through, okay? Like a fungus that sort of grows in the dark, okay? And so yeast is sort of working its way through and changing things. Paul brings this up to two of the churches he speaks to when he says a little yeast works its way through the dough. And to the Galatians, it was bad teaching. To the Corinthians, it was bad behavior. Either way, the point is this. Christians in Galatians, you are, Galatia, you are saying something but believing something else. You are saying, we follow Jesus. Jesus has saved us and then we're believing, but we can save ourselves. Yeast, hypocrisy, that's not good. The Corinthians were saying, Jesus has saved us. We are born again and I'm going to sleep with my mother-in-law. 
you can take that off the tape. <laughs> it's in the Bible, okay? It's not me. It was hypothetical. And Paul says, a little yeast works its way through the dough. Saying one thing, this is who we are. We are light, we're united with Christ, and yet behaving in a different way. It's two, two things, whether you're believe, saying something but believing different, saying something and behaving different, the same thing is, it's hypocrisy. This is yeast, this is hypocrisy, and left in the dark, these things permeate their way through. What's the issue? Walking in the light. Walking in the light about a people who say, listen, we are, we, we, what I am in public is what I am in private. What I say with my mouth here is what I live with my life behind closed doors. What does walking in the light look like? It means walking in authenticity. It means being true to truth. Because the amazing thing is with the Corinthians, when they're accepting certain immoral behavior, listen, Paul doesn't quote the Ten Commandments to them. When they're sleeping with temple prostitutes, when they're getting drunk at communion, when they're accepting certain things happening, he does not say to them, remember what God said at Sinai. What he says to them is this, that is not who you are. You are a saint. You've been united with Christ. And you ain't going to take Christ and put him in a prostitute's bed, now are you? Because that's hypocrisy. You are united with Christ. It's not you to live like that. You're a child of the light. That is behavior of darkness. Stop it. It's not you. You're not being authentic to who you really are, which is a holy saint. You are like Jesus on the earth, a Siamese twin. You are created in Christ's image, and there is no way that Jesus acts like that. It's not being who you are. He doesn't say to them, you're disobeying the law. He says, you're not, it's the same thing he said to Peter in Galatians, you're not acting in line with the gospel. And in accordance to the gospel, you've been brought out of darkness. You've been delivered from Egypt. That behavior is not yours anymore. You're a whole new creation. So live like that. Be the real you. You're a saint. You're holy. You're united with Christ. Now live like that. Demonstrate some authenticity. It's there in the Greek. Trust me. Because God is light. John says three things about God is. God is spirit, God is love, and God is light. First John. James says it this way, James 1 verse 7. He says, it's 17, every good gift, perfect gift, is from above, coming from the Father of lights, for whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God has no shadow or shifting in his character. He's not one thing today and then another thing tomorrow. A contemporary way to say this might be this. God is not shady. God's not shady. Something going on in the darkness there. Something going on behind closed doors. No, God is not shady. God does not shift. God is a shining bright. He's not shady. He's not hiding from you. And he's not hiding things from you. He's not doing something dodgy behind the scenes. And so in the same way that God is who he is always, consistently authentic. When's the last time I thank God for being authentic? That's a good thought. Write that one down. I just thought of that. When's the last time you thank God for being 
God, thank you that you are genuine. That's for free. God is authentic. He is who He is. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? What did God say to Moses? I am who I am. That's kind of like saying, oh yeah, let your yes be, let your no be. And if you can't say either of them, just flip and well say, I don't know, okay? If you don't know, just say, let your I don't know be, I don't know. But just be authentic. Just demonstrate some integrity. Demonstrate authenticity. It's a real word. We should, we should, we're going to get it into Webster's uh, the dictionary, okay? We'll use it. I like it. I think it's a good word. It flows. It's made up, but it flows. Walk in the light. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. Micah, come house of Jacob, let us, come let us. Walk in the light. Paul puts it this way. We'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That sounds like grace to me. God loved us and gave himself for us before we could ever commit ourselves to him. That is the God that we call dad. However, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness must not be even named among you, as is proper among those who are saints. Let there be no filthiness, the foolish talk, or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, Everyone who is sexually immoral, impure or covetous, which basically means they're an idolater, they worship another God, something else is more important than Jesus. They don't have inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, hypocrisy, for because of these things, the wrath of God is on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Jesus said, God is light. I'm the light of the world. And then he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world because you're just like me. Once you were darkness, but now you are light. Why? Because you are in the Lord. When I come to Christ, I'm positioned in him, clothed and covered in him. And he is perfect, pure, holy, light, I am light in the Lord. I'm not light because I obey. I'm light because He came to me in Egypt and shone His light on me when I was disobedient. I received that light. Now I walk in the light of obedience. I walk in the light of authenticity. I am light because I'm in the Lord. So therefore, because you are light, now walk in the light. Can you see that? Because you are, therefore be. That's what authenticity is all about. Because this is who you are, be it. This is why I obey. And it's all because God in His grace took a hold of me. God took hold of me, the Lamb of God that was slain for me. 
so that the light of God would shine and lead me for the rest of my life. And lead me not just in this life, but lead me to a life beyond this life. Because our inheritance for eternity is the perfect light of His life and His love. Heaven, a place of light. A place where things are because they are. There's no hypocrisy. There's no shady dealings. God is perfectly light in His holy temple. And that is our eternal destiny because Jesus, the Lamb of God, was given for us. Isn't that beautiful? Come, let us walk in the light. Today, one of these three things has got to have spoken to you somewhere. Please be authentic. Please. And maybe make a stand today to say, I'm going to be who I am, who God says I am. I'm not going to try to be. No, I'm just going to be who I am. And that means being honest. means being generous. means a whole lot of things. It means being God's children, walking as you are. Please be obedient. It's good for you. And it's good for all of us. All of us together, come let us be obedient to Him. You won't regret it. Be open to His voice. Be aware of His word. Please obey Him. It's really good. And ultimately, it means receiving God's grace. And if you're here today and you've never come out of Egypt, as it were, you've never followed the light of His love shining on you, but today it feels like, ding, I've just had a light go on. God knows your name. He knows you. He knows you by name. And He wants you to walk with Him. And that is possible because of Jesus. Jesus has paid the price, demonstrated what God is like, and paid the price so that we could be holy in His sight and love, all of our sin forgiven, to approach a holy God with confidence and boldness. And if you've never made that step to acknowledge the shining of God's light today, I'd love for you to do that. I really would love for you to do that. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.